One year, I kind of got an idea. You almost try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, it was better. Back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you here. We are presented by... Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z, B-R-O-S.com. Cots Bros is a trapping supply company run by Kyle and Kellen Cots out of Savannah, Illinois. These boys have traps, uh, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line, so check them out. Also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. Fur Harvesters is an auction house run by trappers for trappers. They get a big auction come up in March and another one later on in the season. Check them out at furharvesters.com where you can find information on shipping agents, pickup locations, auction schedules, and results from past auctions. Check out Fur Harvesters. They are working hard to get the best prices for your fur. All right, great to have you guys here in tonight's episode. We're going to talk with Chris from Western North Carolina. Chris is a great guy. I really enjoy talking with him. He is one of the early guys that emailed me when I just started getting going with the podcast and uh, talking, trapping, asking for advice. And he had just got started trapping. Um, It was great to hear from him back when he got started and to hear from him now, you know, almost... I guess basically a year later, uh, and listen in on what he's learned since then and all the things that he's experienced. It's just great to hear. So Chris is a great guy. He's had an interesting experience in life in general and on the trap line and getting started as a trapper. So we'll get into that. This episode, we're going to get into uh, the first part. We're going to break this up into two parts, and we'll talk first about Chris's background and how he got into trapping um, we'll get into a bunch of different things uh, about him getting started on the trap line. And we'll start to talk a little bit about beaver trapping. And then we will uh, save the rest for next week's episode. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, let's get into the episode. Chris from North Carolina, good to have you on. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you. You've been listening to the podcast for quite a while. I remember hearing from you Boy, it's, it was at least a year ago, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to say it was uh, 
September of last year because it was approaching my first season, which would have started in November. And it uh, sounds like you've come quite a way since then. Yeah, I'd like to think I have, man. I think I, I owe a lot of it to people like you and a bunch of local guys and people I've met at conventions that have really helped me. Um, you know, it's kind of a rare thing to to take on a new hobby or a new passion and just go to the internet or go to conventions or wherever and meet complete strangers that'll just kind of unload everything they know on you. <laughs> so let's step back a minute. How, how did you get into trapping? Well, that's, uh, I kind of spoke to you in an email about, um, if anybody, especially people that knew me growing up, if, you know, there's, there's almost nobody that really knows my backstory, but I just feel like it's kind of, I'm not being true to myself and true to anybody else if I don't touch on that a little bit, but I'm I'm the last person that anybody would probably ever expect to be a trapper or an outdoorsman. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into anything because I'm sure, you know, I'd like to think of this as some sort of family program, and I'm, I'm sure there's younger people that listen to it, so I'm not going to get into any gory details, but I do feel like I have things to say that might help somebody. Um, sure. The short version of the story being, I had some very horrible things happen to me as a child that were out of my control, out of my parents' control, pretty much out of everyone's control except for the other party involved, and I'm sure people can do the math and figure out what that might be, and uh, my biggest mistake was never talking about it, never telling anybody what had happened to me, not knowing if people would look at me differently, you know, my my family taking ownership of it and blaming it, blaming it on themselves. So basically from the time I was 10 until I was in my late twenties, I, you know, I, I held on to that burden, so to speak. And, uh, usually when people go through traumatic events like that, it, there's only two things you can do. You can, you can either choose to get better, which I didn't do, or you're going to let it eat you alive in one way or another. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that traumatic experiences affect different people. And But for me, I just went down a very dark road. Um, to keep it somewhat G-rated, and I'm sure you'll understand the sentiment, I'll just put it to you this way. Uh, most of my life, starting at 15 until I was in my late 20s, was I was trying to find better living through chemistry, if you pick up on what sure, I'm saying. Sure, sure. And, and that was not of the recreational variety. Um, like I said, man, I, for the sake of the podcast, I don't want to go into it too much because we could talk for 10 hours about all my exploits and dirty laundry. But uh, by the time I was in my 20s, I was essentially uh, homeless by choice because that allowed me to avoid the responsibilities of day-to-day life and allowed me to... Um, how should I put it? It allowed me to focus on what I thought I needed to get in order to get through that day. And that led me to homelessness, crime. Uh, there was a period of time where I was literally, you know, 20 years old, riding freight trains around the country as if I was like a hobo from the 1930s. <laughs> and that, and that was very, that was very like a romanticized thing. I mean, I still think it is in some ways to some people, but the problem was all I was doing was destroying myself in the process. Yeah. So 
thank God I got through all that. And, you know, if anybody who hears this or you or anybody else wants to know more about that, maybe we could get into that over a separate phone call or email because, you know, this is a trapping podcast. But uh, how did I get into trapping? Well, basically, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it seems like God or the universe or whatever you want to call it um, has a strange way of doing things. And I was in the Northeast. I grew up in Maryland. I grew up in huge deer hunting country. Uh, I've read a lot of stuff about these old school fox trappers that loved fox trapping in Maryland. And it's just, I could have been exposed to those things than I was through people that I grew up with, but I obviously went down a different road and I didn't see any importance of the outdoors. Um, and uh, so basically by a weird twist of fate, um, I had a friend a lifelong friend. We had lost touch. He had moved down here to Western North Carolina where I live now. And, uh, my younger brother, who is a very avid hiker, uh, he was doing a through hike of the AT, you know, the Appalachian trail. Mm -hmm. And through that process, he ended up hiking through the town that my best childhood friend grew up in. So one thing led to another, he went to his house and they talked and, you know, ate food and he did his laundry and took a break off the trail for a couple of days. And he was able to pass on his uh, phone number and contact info to me. So we ended up getting back in touch. He was very aware of what I had been through for all those years. And uh, I don't know, man, it was like a million different people had said a million different things to me. And I was just in that like perfect frame of mind where what he said really clicked and you know he's been he's been deer hunting and fishing and stuff like that his whole life as long as we as long as we've known each other um and he basically said to me on the phone one day he said well what do you think about you know changing your life and doing something different and that was something I had heard a thousand times and I just kind of disregarded it but tried to hang on to some kind of hope or encouragement he said, listen, man, it's awesome down here. We're in the middle of the mountains. He said, you can come out here. You can start learning how to farm. You can start learning how to hunt. You know, I'll help you do anything. All you've got to do is just make the decision to do it. And I talked to my now fiance, who was my girlfriend at the time, who she stuck with me a lot longer than I would have stuck with her if the situations would have been reversed. I mean, she's a saint, but, uh, I told her, I said, what do you think about moving to the mountains of Western North Carolina? And she thought I was half nuts, but at the same time, she thought it seemed like a great idea. Yeah. So fast forward, we we scraped together every penny we had. We moved down here with no idea of what we were going to do for work. It took us every bit of money we had to get down here and pay off our, our uh, rent to get into a place and all this. And I just, I hit the ground running. I never looked back. And, um, once again, this is a trapping podcast, so I'll keep it on that. But I went through the process of learning how to fish, which made me curious about hunting. And, and it just kept snowballing, and I just kept getting more obsessed. And, you know, what I, what I want to say, which I think is really important, is that, like, for somebody with a personality like me that always had that drive in them, but that drive was always focused in the wrong direction and on the wrong things. Uh, and I'm sure you could identify with this 
even if you haven't had the same life experience as me, trapping is the perfect avenue for somebody who's got that type of brain that doesn't shut off. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I'm sure we've even talked about that. I mean, I told everybody it's one of the biggest addictions you'll ever have, but it won't kill you. If you follow the laws, you won't end up in prison, and you'll have a really good time doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's an excellent point way of looking at it. Trapping is uh, for the uh, the ad- folks who are, I guess, uh, naturally tend towards addiction. Trapping is kind of kind of fulfills that. Um, it, funny thing is, a, a few days ago, a guy emailed me uh, from Canada, and he said, "Hey, just wanted to, you know." talk thank you for the podcast and stuff and he said you know i had a uh i've been dealing with a lifelong drug and alcohol addiction and i just started trapping again last year um and got the old traps out and he said uh it's the best thing that ever happened to me yeah i absolutely i couldn't agree more and uh you know it was it was just a huge blessing man and it wasn't something that wasn't something that i planned but uh you know to get back to how did i end up trapping my lifelong friend was a heck of an outdoorsman, but for whatever reason, you know, he was a huge deer hunter. Deer hunting in Maryland is like, it's a different animal than it is here, I'll tell you that. Deer hunting these mountains is really hard, and there's not a lot of them. I think, uh, just to put it in perspective, I think last year in Maryland, each each hunter in Maryland got like 37 deer tags. <laughs> Because there's crazy overpopulation, and they're super laden with CWD, and it's all big ag there on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, So it's very easy to dive into deer hunting and never think twice about trapping growing up in that environment. Long story short, I went to go into my hunter's ed class, and uh, I feel like this is worth mentioning too. I went to that hunter's ed class full of so much anxiety, not because I thought I would fail the test or anything, but I just pictured me being 31 years old and being in there with like a bunch of like five and six year olds and stuff (laughs) and everybody thinking, what the heck's this guy doing here? You know, he's 20 years too late. And, uh, it was amazing, man. I was like, I was like the average age in that class. Nice. And, uh, that was really refreshing. There was a lot of guys that were in their 40s saying, you know, I just want to learn how to put food on the table for my family. It was really cool, but I owe it all to my instructor, who was a game warden. And, uh, because what he said was, he, you know, he introduced himself, and he wanted to know a little bit about us instead of just giving us the test and sending us on our way. And his name was Mark Ray, and... Uh, he said, he asked everybody, why do you want to get into hunting? And then he asked, does anybody else fish? And he asked all these things, and he said, who here wants to learn how to be a trapper? And nobody raised their hand, myself included. And he kind of like looked at the floor and he shook his head, and he said, I mean this in the most sincere way possible. He said, but that makes me really sad that nobody raised their hand. Wow. And so then people in the class are saying well what do you mean well what's the problem what's the big deal and he said he said i promise you no matter what what type of outdoor skills you learn and what type of quarry you go after he said if you learn how to trap you're going to find that there's something different about it than any other type of hunting fishing foraging whatever you want to call it 
And he said, but more importantly, if you want to be a better hunter and a better fisherman and you become a trapper, trapping will make you better at both of those things because you'll be able to read the land, read sign better, and just have a better understanding of what's going on in your environment. And uh, it was one of those things where I said, well, heck, man, I'm just trying to figure out how to kill a deer right now, <laughs> you know, but I'll put that in the back of my head. Right. And it, and it kind of it went from there shortly after that. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have, uh, they don't call it a DNR here, you know, Department of Natural Resources, they call it Wildlife Resources Commission, and they've done an outstanding job where they coordinate with the, uh, the North Carolina Trappers Association, and they do free trappers ed classes. Totally, I mean, it's awesome. It's totally free, and it's like a full day of education. It's a it's a half day in the classroom and a half day of actually learning how to put put in sets and set traps and all this stuff. Uh, the game wardens are there. The state biologists, fur bearers are there, and so I got turned on to one of those classes and just kind of hit the ground running from there. Nice, nice. Hey, Chris, just a uh, quick break for a second. You you're fading kind of in and out. I don't know if it's the way that you're speaking in the phone or that protector. Okay. Uh, how am I now? That's perfect. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. So, so that was kind of the introduction. And so you took, you took this course. Yeah. Um, and coming out of there, uh, what was the transition between coming out of that course and setting your first trap? Well, it was funny. Uh, when I went to the course, um, once again, it was like, I was like actually one of the youngest people in the class. It was a lot of older guys, which, which is fine. I joke all the time that like one of the coolest things about trapping is that like most of my closest friends are like old trapper dudes, you know? Yeah. And, and I, that's a very good thing. I have nothing bad to say about that, but it's, it's the last based on where I was a couple of years ago. It's the last place I thought I'd be <laughs> hanging out with the people I'm hanging out with, you know? I've learned but, to uh, enjoy hanging out with those old timers. Oh yeah. It's, they, it's priceless. I, you know, you find when you get into this stuff, you have more in common with them than a lot of people your own age. You got that right. And, um, well, it was funny because we were in the class and there was a guy that was like my age. He was the only other one, my age. And he had like, I couldn't figure out why he was there because he had like every answer that the instructors <laughs> asked. He was, like, giving the instructor suggestions on, like, making certain sets. And I thought, like, did this guy just show up here to, you know, toot his own horn or whatever? And, uh, but I kept, like, paying attention to him because I was like, well, either way, he knows what he's talking about. He definitely knows what he's talking about. And he came up to me and he said, hey, man, he said, my name's Zach. He said, how old are you? And I told him, he said, yeah, I'm the same age as you. He said, I've been trapping since I was nine years old and I've never met anybody else my own age who's a trapper. You're kidding. Yeah. And what what and as a caveat to that, it turns out that he was mentored as a kid by Paul Dobbins. No kidding. But it was like strictly through like email and like random randomly seeing each other at conventions because you know, I think he had like Zach had a computer at his house with like dial up internet and uh 
Paul Dobbins sent him free lore and free traps all the time and was just telling him how to get after it. And uh, Zach was entirely self-taught, and he's a heck of a trapper. But he uh, he kind of took me under his wing. But the most ironic part about it is uh, him and I are both very busy guys. And to this day, we've still never actually trapped together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But he's, you know, he's the type of guy that you could call at five in the morning out on the trap line because you're confused about something and he's going to be able to tell you exactly what's going on. And he, so he, he kind of broke the ice for me. Him and I uh, went to my first convention together last summer and I was just able to keep making connections. Um, I did want to ask you too, real quick before I forget. Uh, so is it my understanding that you know John from Seven Oaks? A little bit. I've, I've sent him some traps. He made me uh, a couple of those uh, uh, trap uh, pickup truck hitches, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I just wanted to mention him because he's been a he's been a huge help to me, and he's you know he's done more for me than I could ask for, never asked anything in return, so I, I have a lot of appreciation for him. Yeah, for guys that don't know, he's on Trapper Man under the name Trapper John. T-R-A-P-R-J-O-H-N, I believe. That's it. Yeah, nice guy. And, uh, yeah, what happened was my my uh, my first shed was had burned down, and I had all these these burn fire-damaged traps that were no good anymore. And I, I kind of posted uh, I posted up on the, the trap shed there just looking to see if anybody wanted to buy them for uh, sort of a decorative deal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he ended up – he ended up – uh, I ended up sending him, I think, like four boxes of traps, and and just kind of traded. He makes these really cool hitch covers that just they slide into your hitch receiver um, with a like a coil spring trap on them. They look yeah. pretty awesome, and and uh, it's kind of fun when you riding around with that, and people people look at that and say, "Hey, what's that? You're a trapper? I didn't know you trapped." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a uh, it's like a bat signal or something. Yeah. So, so he's, so you've interacted with him a little bit learning as you were getting started. Yeah. He, um, when I first started out and, you know, I was, I was on the forums, the internet forums, the, we have a really good one, uh, specifically for trapping. That's, you know, pretty much ran by the guys from the North Carolina trappers association. And, uh, so I, I'm sure I wore those guys out, man. Like if it, it's been great to to see that they put up with me because I mean it was like, <laughs> dude, I wouldn't even give them a break if if I was laying awake at night and thought, well, you know, well, I wonder why they're saying I should use shock springs on my predator traps. I mean, I would post about it, and then before I might even get an answer, I'd probably post three other questions and three other yeah parts of the forum and those guys just kept answering my questions and they'd send me their phone numbers and uh people it's incredible how helpful people are man it's amazing and, and i can see how it could get pretty annoying because you could see you see guys on the forums a lot that you could tell they're just getting started and they're so excited and they're just firing off question after question after question yeah uh, but but uh there are people who uh who are really um appreciative of the fact that that there are people out there that are willing to learn and, and interested in, in learning. So, uh, so those guys are real generous with their, their time and their information for sure. Yeah. I mean, John, he's, he's been great. Uh, you know, prime example to speak of the type of guy that he is, uh, 
last year at the convention he knew it was my first one i was all fired up you know as soon as i got there he gave me half dozen skinning knives a bunch of lure and wouldn't let me pay him for it and then uh he i had agreed to help him uh load his stuff up at the end of the show because he had just had surgery and i believe his wife was recovering from surgery too so they couldn't lift all that stuff and then uh you know, me and this kid, Zach, who I mentioned earlier, it took us maybe 40 minutes to get them packed up and on their way, <laughs> and he wanted to hand me more stuff, and I'm like, you know, John, you gave me stuff, you gave me stuff when I got here, I don't need anything else, and he's like, it's fine, you know, if I didn't want to give it to you, I wouldn't give it to you, and if you can't use it, give it to somebody else, and that's the type of guy he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what was your yeah. first, what was the first set you made? Um, well, this is, this is a funny story and I think it'll be a good lesson for somebody else who might be thinking about doing what I did. So I live in a super rural area here in Western North Carolina. It's beautiful. There's trout water all over the place, super clean water, super good habitat for beaver. I kind of had, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just like the stereotypical mystique of the mountain men trapping beaver back in the day but the more research i did and i think i had emailed you a couple of times it was like beaver seemed like something i could start out with and manage it and uh i like the idea of uh you know using 330s and not have my first catch be something in a live foothold trap and not know what to do and all this which now that I've done it, I realize it's not a big deal, but it's it's intimidating when you're new, or can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the bright idea since I'm not a landowner, and at that time I didn't have the connections that I have now with the landowners in my area. I figured, well, heck, I'll just post an ad on Craigslist. Somebody's bound to answer. <laughs> well, dude, it got to the point where I was getting so many emails, it was like, People had already emailed me and asked me to catch their beavers and then already emailed me back to cuss me out that I never answered the first email before I could even. And I told my, I told my fiance, I said, this is not a good idea. I said, and the funniest part about it is, and I'm sure you might be able to relate to this and some other guys will, is that on top of it, you're essentially trying to get somebody to give you permission to trap. But at the same time, you're not really trying to let go of the fact that you've never trapped before. Exactly, exactly. You know what exactly I mean? Right. There's a lot of guys that are in that boat right now that I get emails from where they're like, look, I I, I really, you know, I'm just getting into trapping. I'm, I don't have a whole lot of experience. I can catch the animals, but I got all these landowners that want me to trap their property. And I feel it doesn't feel right saying I'm doing animal damage because I'm, you know, not that guy. But at the same yep. time, you know, you want to get that permission and get that access. But if you admit that you have very little experience, then people are less likely to let you on the property. So it, it's a it's a tough place to get through. You get you kind of gotta gotta make it through there for the first couple of years, and then you you gain some momentum with it. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. So what happened was there was one guy who sent me a super short and sweet email, and. uh I figured, well, this seems like a good guy to start with because he doesn't seem too stressed out. I mean, because some of these people are, I need to have a guarantee that these beavers are going to be gone <laughs> within three days or I'm kicking you off the property. I'm like, well, you know, God only knows it's going to happen. So yeah. I go out 
I meet with this guy, and this is when I had first emailed you a couple questions about, uh, I think I, I don't know that I had asked you about how to set for beaver as much as I was asking uh, how the weather affects them with, like, heavy rains, because we had just gotten yeah. a hurricane. Mm-hmm. So we had gotten this hurricane, so the guy told me, well, since since the hurricane's going to hit, let's see how it goes, see how we get through it, and then I'll contact you. So he contacts me a couple of days after the hurricane and says, hey, why don't you come out and set some traps? I go out there. The guy's super laid back, couldn't have been any nicer, didn't seem too concerned, didn't, wasn't worried about timelines. You know, just the perfect person to be the first person that you trap for yeah. as a new trapper. And uh, I, basically, he had a creek that was only like maybe eight feet wide behind his house. And beavers had dammed it up. And it flooded out his field where he has all his chickens and goats and livestock and stuff. Well, the hurricane had blown the dam out. So I had visions of like this 10 foot tall dam that was, you know, (laughs) you know, it was like I pictured something out of a magazine or a movie. And I get there and there's like a dam that's maybe a foot tall and it's completely blown in half. There's no standing water anywhere. And. I'm like, well, crap. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to navigate, you know, interaction with the landowner because I don't have any experience. I don't want to, the guy to think I'm a flake because I tell him, oh, I don't think the beavers are here anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So long story short, I, the first set I made was a, a caster mound. I had, I had had a lot of people tell me that it was a good starting set. I felt comfortable making it, and. I think I made like two sets because this creek was so small and I was already convinced that the beaver wasn't there anyway. I made one caster mound set and then I made a uh, like a halfway submerged, uh, just a random set. And if you could even call it a run, I don't even know if you would call it that, but I, you know, I did what I could. And I was so excited about it, man, because North Carolina, the law is that completely submerged 330s okay yeah that's you the same, same thing here you got a 72 hour check is that what it is there no well no that that's it's between three and five days but we have to sub do you have to submerge them completely no the 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 caveat is is that it if it's completely submerged we get a 72 oh, hour okay. check but it has to be at least halfway submerged for that size trap Okay, and 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 uh, if it's if it's not submerged, it's a twenty-four hour check. Uh, yeah, okay. and um, well, there's it. It gets kind of muddled because like we can, you know, I meant to even grab the regulations and have them in front of me because I knew this kind of stuff was going to come up. I'm the type of guy that I've got the whole regulations digest downloaded on my phone. Yeah. So every time I start second guessing myself, I pull it up out there in the field. But uh, like we can, it gets hairy because you know the regulations don't say three thirty or two twenty. They talk about the diameter of the jaws yeah, and stuff. Sure. Which the way it evens out is that we can set two twenties and smaller on dry land here. Basically, okay. is how it evens out. So anyway, needless to say, I. Uh, I was so excited because the other thing I was already sold on the idea that I was going to eat beaver meat because I had heard nothing but great things about it. 
And I figured if it, if everybody was lying to me and it wasn't good, I've got four hungry dogs and a bunch of chickens that'll <laughs> eat anything under the sun. Perfect. So I'm all fired up and I'm going out and checking these empty sets every day, every day, every day. And I'm like, just thinking that I can use my brain power to catch a beaver that's not there and that the landowner is going to be happy and everything's going to be great. He's going to tell everybody in the county that I'm a beaver trapper. Well, it almost did kind of work out like that. <laughs> I never caught anything. And eventually he says to me, he goes, listen, man, he said, you, you know, you live 45 minutes from here and you've got a full-time job. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you don't need to run yourself ragged checking these traps. And he's like, what do you think is going on? And I said, well, if I could be honest with you, bud, I said, I don't think the beavers are here anymore. I said, the dam's blown out and they haven't fixed it. And, I think they've moved on. And he says to me, well, man, I feel really bad that uh, I've been having you come out here and doing all this trapping for nothing. I said, well, it's okay. It's part of it. You know, I'm, I'm saying it as if I have any experience. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it's just part of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he says, well, let me hook you up with my father-in-law. He said he's been a local around here his whole life, and he knows every farmer with every dam and beaver nice. pond in the whole county. Nice. Perfect. So he hooks me up with this crazy old man, and I say that in the, in the most like uh, <laughs> affectionate way possible. And the guy is like, I mean, just classic old country dude, the type of guy that would regularly ask me why I was setting traps the way I was setting them. Yeah, and just, when I just would, holding court. Yeah, and when I would reference the regulations, he he would just say, "You ain't got to worry about that. My best friend's a game warden." <laughs> and I would say, "Well, you know, sir, I I respect that. I understand that. Like, you're not going to let me get into trouble, but I've got to worry about, you know, because he was basically putting me on with all these landowners that he knew that he had done work on their farms for." And I said, my concern isn't with you or the game warden as much as it is if I do something illegal or something bad happens or I'm setting 330s on dry land and I catch somebody's dog, I'm going to have to answer to that. I said, even if the whole thing gets washed under the bridge because you're best friends with the game warden, I don't know that I'm not going to end up in a newspaper article or on the PETA website or whatever. I said, it's just... Yeah, you know, that, for my when, own. Back in his time, it was it was a lot different than it is now. A hundred percent, and he it it was really cool because over the weeks we kind of became buddies, and uh, over the weeks that I trapped for him, uh, he would slowly he would start getting at me about you ain't got to worry about that, and I'd give him this look, and he would say, "All right, I know you got to you got to do what you do," <laughs> and then he he told me one day he said. I just wanted to apologize for giving you all this grief about these regulations. He said, I grew up so poor. He said, what little regulations there was back then, he said, we didn't care what they were and we weren't going to follow them. He said, because our dad told us when you go in the woods, if there's anything out there that looks like you can eat, you kill it and we're going to try to eat it. Yeah. You know, he, they harvest, he told me stories about them harvesting deer you know fawns that still had their spots on them he's like it wasn't because we had fun and it's what we wanted to do that's how we ate and uh so he ended up being a really neat guy and um 
So pretty much the same story as the first place. I'm setting 330s all over the place on a, on a pretty decent-sized dam on this farmer's property, and I'm not catching anything. And at this point, you know, I don't even know what a trap shy beaver is. You're starting you know? to lose confidence, right? Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even know it was possible for beavers to be trap shy or whatever. So I'm like, I probably sent you some emails. I'm you did, I guys, remember that, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know what I could be doing wrong. And John, the, the man we were speaking of earlier, he did something that really helped me out. He said, I'm starting to think that these beavers are trap shy and that somebody might have trapped them before. He said, uh, go out tomorrow and put a big break in the dam, put a 330 there to where the only way they can get to the dam break is through the 330 and fence it all off. He said, because if they're not trap shy, that dri- that running water is going to dri- drive them nuts and they're going to risk going through it. He said, but if they're trap shy, they're just going to let the pond drain out and go elsewhere. So sure enough, I did that. I had it fenced off, so there was no way around it, and uh, they just let it keep draining and draining. So I told John. John said, pull the trap and tell me what happens tomorrow morning. <laughs> I go out there, I pull the trap, everything's fixed. Yeah. So There you go. That's a learning experience. Absolutely. So I asked the landowner, or I asked the guy that put me in touch with the landowner. I said, hey, Mr. Lionel, I said, uh, by any chance, has anybody ever tried to trap these beaver out here before? So he's like, oh, yeah, everybody's tried to trap these things. Apparently, like, he had had, like, multiple groups of people just going out there setting 330s on land and all over the place. And he was like, yeah, one guy caught one, like, five years ago, and then nobody ever caught one again. And I was like, okay, now we're making sense. And, um... Apparently, this old guy, Lionel, he, it had got to the point where he was getting so mad that he was getting outsmarted by these things. He was just, he was just sitting on the creek at nighttime with like a red spotlight and just shooting them with a shotgun. Yeah. And, uh, so once I realized they were trap shy, then I went back to the drawing board and, uh, I set some snares unsuccessfully, come to find out. I never used the snare support to keep the snare held up. I was uh, I was just wiring the top of the snare to whatever stick or limb I had in the ground. So as soon as I would turn around and walk away, it would just fall dead in the water, and I wouldn't know. Hmm. And <laughs> I thought I was just missing all these beavers, and I was getting so frustrated. Well, what ended up happening is... Uh, the old man, he you know, he was so nice, but you could tell he was frustrated. I guess he went on a rampage one night and just killed them all with a shotgun. So he calls me to tell me that there's no more beavers there because he shot all of them. So I ask him, well, hey, do you think I could at least have the beaver that you killed? And he's like, oh, they're all full of holes on the bottom of the pond. I don't know what happened to them. They're done. And uh, so I was kind of out of luck at that point and so he turned me on to a different farm and he he kept telling me i promise you nobody's ever tried to trap these beavers you've had you've had you had quite a quite a process trying to get your first beaver (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, dude, this is like, yeah, I think this is going on three weeks at this point with daily checks 45 oh. minutes from my house one way. And it was September because here our beaver season is November 1st until the end of March, but you can trap nuisance beaver year-round here if you're a licensed trapper if they're causing property damage. So it was September, so not only am I you know, worried about catching these things to begin with, but I'm, I'm wanting to eat them, and it's September, and there's warm temperatures, so I'm out there every day regardless of what the legal trap check says. And uh, long story short, he put me on to this different farm, and uh, I made a caster mound set just like I had made before, halfway submerged. And uh, the first beaver I caught was, it had to have been a yearling. The thing maybe weighed like 25 pounds. Is that the one you sent me a picture of? Yeah, and I was like, I was like, this thing might as well be a hundred pounds. This is like the most <laughs> hard-earned beaver ever. And uh, you know, I was pumped. And within the next week, I set another caster mound in the same spot, and I set a, a I set another three thirty in a crossover that had kind of been worn down to where it was still underwater, and uh, I caught the other two beavers off that pond in one night and uh they were both over 60 pounds <laughs> and I, I mean i was blown away man that's awesome 